and welcome to episode 104 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. We'll be joined right now by Derek Haas. Derek is the co-creator of Chicago Fire and Chicago PD. Chicago PD premieres Wednesday, January 8th at 10 p.m. on NBC. Derek has also co-written the screenplays for Wanted, 310 to Yuma, and Too Fast, Too Furious. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Popcorn Haas. Derek, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Well, Derek, let's start at the beginning. Tell me what initially attracted you to writing in the first place. I always wanted to be a writer. Ever since I was uh, 12 years old, I, I asked my parents for a typewriter for Christmas when I was 12, and I just loved reading and, and wanted to write stories. I think I wrote a crappy uh, ripoff of The Hobbit when I was about 12 years old and pursued it ever since. Where are you from? I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Do you come from a, a theatrical family at all? Are your family writers or actors? Are they, are they creative sorts? Not at all. My father is a businessman. Um, growing up, he was always uh, moving around between jobs, and, and we kind of moved all over the country when I was little, and then we settled in Dallas. And my mom was a homemaker, but they always supported me, so it was great. Tell me about the transition between just being an amateur writer and writing for fun and making writing your career. I, you know, I think like everyone who wants to do this for a living, it's a combination of of hopefully having uh, a little bit of work ethic and talent and then and then getting lucky. And I was I was working in advertising in Atlanta, Georgia, and I had this idea for a script. And Michael and I had taken a college screenwriting class together. Michael Brandt's my partner. And we um, I started passing the script back and forth via this newfangled device called email back in 1998. <laughs> and uh, we just wrote this script and got it into a few people's hands and everybody who read it kept liking it and it got us an agent and then uh, it was our first sale and even though it never got made, that moved me to Hollywood and I ended up living in an apartment um, right uh, next door to Michael and we just kept kept at it and kept at it and finally got uh, a movie made. I asked some of these questions to Michael yesterday. I'm curious to get your responses to them as well. But tell me about the pros and the cons of writing with a partner. There aren't that many cons. The pros are great. The pros are um, you, you, Hollywood can be really a tough existence for a writer. They're always sort of the, the last, uh, you know, the, the, the last one invited to the party, so to speak. Um, and so to have someone to go through all the trials and the tribulations of Hollywood sitting next to you and, and, and being able to be the good cop, bad cop kind of scenario as you're getting notes from, from everyone is great. And, uh, and you can also do more. You can, you can take on more things, and the more irons you have in the fire, the better chances you have at getting, getting um, your projects made and especially your passion projects. And I really just write to try to impress Michael, and, and that's worked out really well for us. The other thing that you can do is you can write without worrying too much about every comma and every T because you know here comes my partner in to sweep up you know my mess. And so I can always keep going forward, keep pressing forward, and not having to rewrite myself, rewrite myself, rewrite myself. And uh, and it makes it great. The only con there are there aren't any cons. You share the money. I'm sure that's what Michael said. That's what uh, Michael said. He said the only con <laughs> is you have to split the money. That's about it. But um, no. But it, the pros are so far on on the on the good side. 
You guys have an interesting process. He talked about this a little bit yesterday where he basically said you write the first draft of everything and you guys aren't really outlining together. You're not breaking story together. You sort of write the first draft and then he writes it and then you just go back and forth passing scripts back and forth. Uh, tell me why that process works for you guys. Well, I mean, he compared it once to I'm kind of more the painter who takes a blank canvas and just starts throwing paint on it. And he's more of the sculptor who takes, you know, the block and then starts taking things away and shaping it and creating it. And I, I think that's just worked out well for us where I love the blank page. I love, uh, you know, the, the generation of the idea and the gestation of it. And, and then, but I also do what we call a vomit draft where I just vomit out everything that, that I have in my brain that may or may not make sense for a hundred pages. And then Michael can look at that and it's amazing. By the time we get done, we just pack it, pass it back and forth, back and forth so many times that I can't remember what I wrote and what he wrote. It's literally, you know, words of dialogue within a sentence or changing. And, um, it's just, I don't know how it started that way or developed that way, but I just know that's it works for us. I feel like that vomit draft or that speed draft is so important because I think that, especially if you're, if you're a freelancing writer, if you're writing something on spec, and you're just staring at a blank screen, you're staring at an outline, you can get trapped in that like outlining hell, and having a script in front of you, it makes it so much easier to fix Acts 1 and 2 when Act 3 is already written. You couldn't be more right. I think writers, tend, especially the ones starting off, tend to get really bogged down and uh you know i got to make a first a great first 10 pages i got to have a outline that you know makes sense and every thought is figured out before i sit down and then all of a sudden here we are eight months down the road and they haven't even generated a first draft and for michael and and me we would much rather have um a full draft and let's work off of that even if it's not you know, even 50% of what the final product's going to be, it's at least something that now we have a document, we can all look at that and come come back to that. In fact, I had written a book, um, my last book out, uh, Universal Bought the Rights to, and, and Scott Stuber's producing it. And instead of doing the 10, you know, meetings about how we're going to adapt this book into a script, we just said to them, look, we're going to write a first draft uh, and we'll we'll give you that, and then then let's all talk about that rather than the the fifty things we could do, you know, in different directions we could go with this book. How do you find your process for writing novels is different than writing scripts or or teleplays? Well, it's not that different. I think the the screenplays and teleplays taught me efficiency and taught me um, editing, you know, within uh, the body of work itself and and just pace. And so when I sit down to write a book, I really only have in my mind the beginning, the middle, and the end. And, and somehow uh, about a third of the way through in each book that I've written, I usually figure out what the last sentence is going to be. And then I just write towards that. And when it's done, it's done. And I don't think about, um, you know, I don't outline, I don't make it you know, foolproof. And, and I think that has allowed me, and it's the same thing we do in our screenplays. It's allowed us to surprise ourselves. And I think surprising ourselves is what ends up surprising the reader. I think when you write an outline so many times, you, you, you come up with the easiest um, solution, I guess, or if you're going from eight, point A to point C, you just fill in B, you know, automatically when you really could have curveball D, E, F, G thrown in there if you just take the time to think about it or give yourself the flexibility to, to let the, you know, the characters dictate where it's going to go. And so 
I don't know if it's better. I don't know if it's worse. I don't know how other people do it, but it seems to have worked out for us. I feel like you being an author helps you as a screenwriter as well, because now you have material to adapt. It's just a constant. You can get paid twice, essentially, <laughs> for the same thing. Well, that that part of it's fun. I mean, uh, we've only I've written four books, and the, this is the first one that we've tried to adapt. And uh, it's actually been liberating also in that Michael feels no, you know, ownership of the original source material, which we've adapted other people's books and you can't, you know, you have to do that American idol thing of, of you got to make it your own. And, and so to come at this book that I wrote, um, and, and then have that sort of, um, you know, uh, path before, uh, with Michael doing it that way has has helped us because I think otherwise you're slavish to what you you know what your original material was. But the other thing I think for us just from writing writing prose has helped on the screenplay side of it just because you you try to make your action descriptions less stale you know because that's what you're doing and especially if you end up having to outline which we do on television and the network has to read that well i want it i want that outline to read like a book rather than this bland document that then they're judging the bland document you know if you're boring them on saturday afternoon when they're trying to get caught up on their outlines then that's not going to really help you when you're going to write the script michael and i spent a lot of time talking about chicago fire so i want to ask you about chicago pd tell me about this show and how this all came together for you guys well uh you know we were making this show last year and we introduced a couple of uh, police officer characters in the third episode. One was um, Dawson's brother, Antonio, played by John Seda, and the other one was this sort of evil, dirty cop named Voight that was going to be uh, a nemesis for one of our main characters. And Matt Olmsted had written that script, and those characters just popped so much, and I was there on the day when the introduction to Voight, he's sitting across from one of our heroes, and, and he, he's asking him to change his document about this drunk driving incident because his son was involved. And, and Casey says to Voight, you know, if you're asking me to, and, and as scripted, Voight says, I'm not asking. And and Jason Begay, who plays Voight, just screamed in his face, I'm not asking, as he pounded the table. And it was, I mean, the, the crew all took a step backwards, and it was like, wow, we have something with this character. And I think Dick Wolf saw, um, you know, these first few episodes and already started hinting to NBC, you know, we've done Chicago Fire, we could do Chicago Police. And then eventually in the spring, uh, NBC called Dick back and said, so what would this police show look like? And we just got in a room and started hashing it out and figured that in our 23rd episode, our penultimate episode last year, we could do an episode that was half, you know, this, this intelligence unit of this police department and just show what it looked like on its feet without really having to do a pilot. And uh, I don't know if they call it an embedded pilot or a backdoor pilot, but we just thought of it as our 23rd episode. We kept it from our characters' points of view, and, uh, and we shot it, and everybody liked it. And so then we just filled out an, an ensemble around Voight and Antonio, and it's, it's really worked out. It's amazing. That's such an untraditional way to get a show yeah. on the air. And That's it's a, well it's one of those things where it's like, you know, getting that first job. And not that this is your first job, but it's your first TV job. It really helps yeah. get the next project up and going. Yeah, well, you know, Dick, I mean, that's one of the great things about working with Dick and, and Matt Olmstead, quite frankly. They have such experience in television, and, and Dick is nothing if not tenacious and always thinking about how to expand and 
you know, while keeping the, the focus on the writing and the storytelling. And, and so this was just such a natural. And, I mean, we couldn't have had a better alignment with um, those two guys than uh, than this. And so, you know, I, w- I don't want to say fell into our laps because we worked for it. But, wow, we wouldn't have thought to do this. Now, tell me about the process. You're now doing this two years in a row, I guess, where you're having to hire writers, you're having to hire a showrunner, I imagine. Tell me about the process of hiring writers and, and what kind of scripts you're seeing from people that you're eventually hiring. Yeah, well, we got, we got lucky in that, in that when, when Chicago Fire got picked up from, to series, we were able to hire one of our best friends, Matt Olmstead, to be the showrunner of Chicago Fire. He had done five years of NYPD Blue, he had done four years of Prison Break, he had done two years of Breakout Kings. We'd known him for for a dozen years ourselves. And so Dick didn't know him, but we got those two guys introduced, and they hit it off, and here came Matt, and he just knows. We didn't know anything about running a writer's room. We'd been been movie guys, and so we got our staff hired, and it was great. And then when PD came along, we we all, as a a threesome, triumvirate, said, well, we want to do both. Why can't we do both? Let's do it. You know, let's, we have confidence, you know, if anything. And so we went to NBC and said, we want to do both. We'll just hire two rooms and the three of us will, will, you know, lead the rooms. And, and NBC, I guess, for whatever reason, um, felt confident in that. And so again, we just did the same process over again. It was the three of us. We hired, you know, a, a staff of eight more writers or seven, whatever it was. And, all got in a room, and then we just put the characters down the x-axis, and we put the the shows down the y-axis, and we just start filling in the blocks of uh, okay, this will just in broad strokes. This could happen in episode one. This could happen in episode two, and track it by character and uh, and build out the show that way. And then we assign scripts to each writer, and everybody outlines, and we just that's the way we do it. And but the rooms are separate, obviously, right? The rooms are separate, but you know. Um, What's great is having the experience on fire that to then walk into the PD room and kind of know what we're looking for, even even if it's a a little bit darker, a little bit brawnier, as we say, show, than Chicago Fire. Um, we just a, a year of experience under our belts was was you know of maximum help. Now the submission scripts you were getting to sort of seek out other writers, I guess they were coming from agents or maybe even the studios themselves. Yeah. Were they of specs of existing shows or were they original pilots? Try to get as much as possible original original material because I think just been in this um, business long enough to know it's 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 better for us to see someone's creativity um, on a blank piece of paper than it is to have preconceived characters and preconceived scenarios and 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 mimicking. I know that was in fashion for a long time, but not for us. I mean, I would much rather take like one of our best writers on PD, not to um, pit them against each other, but was a New York playwright who gave us a play, young guy. And, you know, the play just had such strength and emotion and, and pop to it and the dialogue all popped that you just knew, okay, well, this guy can handle whatever we throw at him and, and he's more than exceeded our expectations. And I think even, um, you know, some sometimes these people who have been on shows for 15 years or 10 shows and they just, it's, you know, especially if they've done procedurals and it's just A leads to B leads to C and somebody shows up with a notepad in their hand saying, okay, where were you on the night of the 25th? That's not interesting to us. I'd much rather see somebody take risks. I want to ask you about some screenwriting things in general. Tell me what mistakes you see young writers make most often. 
Well, number one, <laughs> it's weird. I was reading a lot of first 10 pages of scripts um, a couple of years ago because a couple of writer friends and I um, got involved with this website. We were just helping. We were trying to help younger writers just by reviewing the first 10 pages, you know. And the most often and surprising mistake I found writers make was what I would call like purposeful confusion. And and what I mean is they're writing a thriller or a mystery or a you know an action movie and the and the opening 10 pages would purposely throw the reader off like it would say things like you know um Kim enters the room but her name's not really Kim it's really <laughs> Megan which you'll find out later and you're like okay I don't understand I just want to know what I'm supposed to be watching on screen you know and that I think that's the thing that writers should do more of is is lay out almost you know it should be not shot for shot but tell the story of what i'm supposed to be watching and that doesn't mean you have to write you know i think a lot of times there's these rules that people follow and one of the rules is don't write what people can't see well that's not necessarily true i mean if you're gonna you know if you want to tell me um he's the kind of guy who blah 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 you know doesn't ever you know back away from a fight great tell me that i don't you know that helps in my head inform the picture um then you can show me you know that whole show don't tell thing which is great i don't mind you telling filling in the blanks for me and making me laugh and doing those kind of things in the action description well it's interesting uh on the, on the script notes podcast both craig and john have talked about it's okay to be vague and it's okay to break the rules of structure you just have to let the reader know you're doing it on purpose exactly that i couldn't say it better so what mistakes do you still make most often? <laughs> um, the most mis- <laughs> the mistakes I still make, I don't know. I think sometimes I tend to, uh, Michael and I both, tend to go for uh, a little bit, <sighs> what should I, what's the right word, like quirky um, or just off-center. And sometimes it, it does take someone steering us. I don't want to say steering us back to the middle, but certainly steering us back to palatable, you know, I think a lot of times Brant and I are just heartless and we'll just kill characters left and right. And, <laughs> and you know, I think sometimes it takes somebody pulling us back. The other, the, that, that reminds me of the other thing I would say that the number one thing you can do as a writer is just surprise, surprise the reader, you know, and especially young writers, I, I don't want to know where it's going to go. I don't want to guess three steps ahead. I want you to surprise me. I want you to surprise me with the dialogue. I want you to surprise me with the actions. And, you know, comedy is, the, the, the rules of comedy are, you know, set up, set up, pay off. That should be the rule of an action movie and a thriller. Set it up, set it up, and then surprise me with the payoff. When I asked Michael that, what do you think he said about his own mistakes? <laughs> uh, that he doesn't delete m- me enough. <laughs> he says he never uses the right theirs, and oh, that's true. That's and true. Uh, he said that he, which I guess is sort of what you said as well, that it's like some of the writing comes across as a little too intellectual, and that he needs to rein it in a little bit. That's yeah, I think that's our our main thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, he. I always make sure I get the last pass because I gotta fix Brant's typos. That's the only. He goes so fast sometimes that he, uh, you know, the it's is and the the it's the it's and the there's there's there's. He uh, tends to screw up. Well, those are the hardest ones to find too because they don't get highlighted in final draft. 
Exactly. Well, the other one that won't screw up is like, we'll change a character's name, and then you forget that that three letters got used in vowel, I mean, like in verbs and stuff. So, like, if you're tra- changing Ben to Charlie, you forget that now it's going to read instead of benevolent, Charlie Evelyn when you do the search and paste. So, yeah, we tend to do that sometimes. I asked the actors that come on the show about their worst audition experience. Tell me about the worst thing you've ever written. <laughs> the worst thing Brant and I wrote, um, well, it was terrible. We, we, when we were in college, um, somebody came and told us that romantic comedies were hot. And we were like, oh, we could do that. N- not, we don't, either one of us like romantic comedies. I don't know why we thought, but at that time, you're just, feeling like anything we could do to break in. So we wrote a script about two, um, about Cupid, if he was alive today and he was blind because love is blind. And he, if he could get two crazy kids to fall in love, he would get his eyesight back. And that, that script is as horrible as what I just told you. <laughs> that's never going to see the light of day. That'll never, I, I hope that's been buried. I don't know that anybody has a copy of that. Do you think that the shrinking attention spans of TV watchers are forcing you to write TV in a different way? Uh, I haven't noticed. I mean, we really sort of marched to our own drummer. Dick had done, you know, 20 years of law and order and procedurals. And we, the kind of things we like were were Breaking Bad and, and, and these serialized, you know, Hill Street Blues and and NYPD Blue and, and and Buffy the Vampire Slayer of all things and sort of these serialized, you know, stories. And so we've never, you know, when we when we were first starting, Dick was like, okay, so the A story and the B story and the C story, we don't think in those terms. I mean, there's some of these episodes where we'll have five or six storylines going all at once. And I think readers, I mean, I think viewers are actually more sophisticated than a lot of people give them credit for and so you know i'm not going to say we're we're the most um you know groundbreaking show simply because we're on network and not on cable but i do think we take more risks than people probably especially if they just watched our pilot and then tuned out give us credit for yeah and it's one of those things where not only do premium channels and cable channels have the benefit of uh, much less content restriction obviously you're also dealing with 10 or 12 episode arcs and i think about all of the great network shows that eventually get stale i mean i used to love how how i met your mother at one point and then I, you know that it just like most comedies got stale and i just think how i met your mother could still be great if it was doing 10 episodes a year yeah we we laugh cuz brand and i are good friends with um uh, Benny Off and Weiss who do Game of Thrones and and now with these two shows going this year at the end of this year we'll have produced um 59 episodes and Benny Off and Weiss are on season 4 and they've done 40 and so we're just laughing that we've lapped them in 2 years <laughs> and uh but yeah if we only had 10 episodes then you then you could really structure your series like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Each each season, I mean, with a beginning, a middle, and an end. That's what those you know what those great serialized shows do. I mean, Breaking Bad is a perfect example. They pretty much have. I mean, if, those seasons are almost like a video game. There's a there's a big bad guy in each season, and they're going to defeat the big bad guy by the end of the season in you know an awesome surprising way. Well, we don't we can't do that over 22 or last season we had 24 episodes. You can't do that over 24 episodes. You end up finding yourself doing smaller arcs. Okay. This will be a five story arc. This will be a three story arc. This will be a 10 story arc, you know, and then you, you build off of that. But to try to do a, a, 
a big bad and set it up for 22 episodes, people would be bored out of their minds. I asked Michael this yesterday. I'm curious what you think as well. How do you handle filming an episode in TV? You need to crank out those 24 episodes. How do you handle when you're taping an episode that just you know isn't as good as other episodes you've done? Well, it only happened once last year, and we were just I was I was in the middle of it, and um, and you realized it wasn't happening, and uh, it was very frustrating. I was I was um, it was the dead of winter. It was snowing in Chicago, and and so you're just in you know gloom gloomy mood anyway, and you realize this isn't coming together, and you and you you're angry. <laughs> you know that's number one, and then you're trying to figure it out. But what we have. Um, in television that I didn't even realize we had until last year is the ability to fix things in post in, in, in the sense that we wrote a new four pages for that uh, episode, which ended up being one of our best episodes. And, and just those four pages that we ended up writing and were able to shoot, it was an extra day and a half of shooting, which is built in because oh, you're shooting 24 episodes. So you can build in, you know, our line producers are good enough to build in an extra couple of weeks for reshoots over the course of the season. So we used up a day and a half. We shot some new footage. We cut some things. We put different words in some people's mouths. And so you you really do have the ability to edit it after filming um, more so than just in post. I want to ask you about some of the scripts you've written. Tell me about working on Too Fast, Too Furious. And I ask you about that because at that point, you're writing an existing franchise. Did you almost have to sell yourself to the studios at that point? How did that whole process work? Yeah, we had we had the greatest time on that movie. Um, what happened was we had written a different movie for Universal that summer. And we were baby writers. I and mean, we had just been in Hollywood maybe a couple of years at that point. And uh, that movie got... Um, uh, and it ended up not going for various reasons, but the studio liked what we had done. And they said, would you guys like to write the sequel to this movie, the fast and the furious, which had come out that summer. And we said, um, no. And then our agents were like, um, guys, the answer is actually yes. Uh, this movie <laughs> is going to get made. Uh, it was a big hit. And, um, and so you guys have not had a movie produced yet. And so uh, you should reconsider. So we went and we watched the first movie, which we hadn't done. And it, was, it actually was better than we thought. And it ended in such a way that sort of gave, um, you know, an idea of what the sequel could be. And so even just walking out in the parking lot after screening the film, we sort of bare bones sketched out the ideas. And we met Neil Moritz, who was producing it, who we really liked. And so we pitched them the idea, and everybody liked it. And, uh, and we were off and running. And originally we had written it for Vin Diesel, to come back and reprise his role, and then for what uh, they had a negotiation breakdown, and so he was out, and we hired John Singleton to direct it, and then the, and John had worked with this guy Tyrese Gibson, so Tyrese got hired on to basically take the place of Vin Diesel, and we had Paul Walker and John. Um, we just hit it off with him from day one. He's just he's just a great guy, and Michael and I, like I said, we were really young and. And and we liked him, and he liked us, and so we our my film school was going to make a ninety million dollar movie in Miami. So I we were on it from prep all the way through post, and uh, ended up having an absolute blast. It was a young cast, so they were all nobody was set in their ways, and the pressure wasn't you know it, we didn't feel any pressure. Um, it was a great time. What about when you do feel pressure after you do have things with your names that have been on it that have been produced? Um, I imagine 310 to Yuma was one of those where you were known writers, and I feel like there was a lot of pressure with the cast and everything. Do you feel like you're writing differently when there's pressure on you? Well, 
Yeah, I mean, you feel, you definitely feel a, res, a, a greater responsibility, I think, when... I mean, I think that first experience, we were just, you know, you're naive, you know, so you don't you don't think about those things and you don't, you don't know what it's like to have a movie come out and go into theaters and, and have that feeling of, is this going to be successful? Am I going to work again? It was really just one day at a time. And I think with Yuma, we had met um, Jim Mangold and his wife, Kathy produced the movie and gotten along great with them. And then it had a ton of ups and downs before that got to the screen. I mean, that could be a whole podcast in, in and of itself. It was originally at Columbia and then they put it in turnaround. It was originally going to be Tom Cruise and Eric Bana and that fell apart. And we were working on something else by the time the movie finally came together. And, uh, and then, you know, with the new cast, um, certainly that to us was exciting um, and Elmore Leonard, you know, it was based on an Elmore Leonard short story, so you feel a certain responsibility to him. And uh, but then you ultimately you can't you can't succumb to the pressure. You can't uh, be paralyzed by the pressure because it's always going to be like that. And let me tell you something: um, television is way more pressure than movies. With movies, you you make the movie, post is you know four months or whatever it is. And then you go to the premiere, and it's like a high school reunion. You haven't seen some of these cast and crew since you laughed at them six months ago. And then, so it's a party, and you're having fun, you're slapping high fives and all those things. And then and then the movie comes out, and it'll do what it's going to do in that opening weekend. You'll know. I mean, you even know ahead of time because they have tracking. But with television, every week is another, you know, another review set of reviews coming out, another the audience feedback, these ratings come out each week that scared the crap out of you. You you have 400 people employed in Chicago that are counting on you. So I feel way more pressure in television than I have ever felt in movies. Is being a working writer what you expected it to be? It's better. Um I don't know what I expected, but I can tell you it's it's an absolute blast. I wish everybody who wants to be a writer, I, I hope that they get to do it, and I hope you get to have a movie made or get a TV show made because um, or a book written and come out and sit on the bookshelf. It's really, it's incredible. I mean, there's there's the lonely times and there's the hard times and there's the pressure and all that stuff, but when you sit in the theater and the and you're and you're surrounded by people who have paid to see this and the characters do something surprising or and and the audience gasps or or the character says something funny and the people behind you laugh it's the greatest feeling in the world i mean or you get an e- you write a book and you get an email from from australia or from germany and somebody read your book and found it and found your email address and sent you a, an email and there's just no greater feeling that that you something that was in your head that was that could have just not you know gone down on paper and gone away forever, like Cupid, um, but is out there in the world and people, you know, respond to it and it gives somebody even a moment's joy. Uh, is it's the greatest feeling. You've been listening to Derek Haas. Derek is the co-creator of Chicago Fire and Chicago PD. Chicago PD premieres Wednesday, January 8th at 10 p.m. on NBC. Derek has also co-written the screenplays for Wanted, 310 to Yuma, and Too Fast, Too Furious. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Popcorn Haas. Derek, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thank you so much. Great questions. Really enjoyed it.